So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Hey, uh, I'm Nate Larkin here with my friend and yours, David Hampton. Uh, I've been waiting for this. Yeah, our schedules have both been so busy. I've been traveling a lot uh, and uh, we've just missed each other. We've had a hard time getting it together to record uh, an episode. Finally, we're able to, yeah. to do this. Yeah, making all the moons and stars line up in our worlds uh, lately, but that's that's okay. It's, it means that something, somebody somewhere is benefiting from something. Hopefully, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it is. Uh, you know, for for Allie and me, it's been a busy time. We spent we spent a couple of weeks out in Idaho and Wyoming vacationing with uh, some grandkids. I've had a few trips out of town, spoken to a few groups, uh, getting set. To head out tomorrow for the Samson Society National Retreat. Oh yeah, uh, where are yeah. y'all going? Uh, We're going year? to Sky Ranch outside of Tyler, Texas. Oh wow, okay, great. Yeah, it's a big change. This is our yeah. tenth annual national retreat. Uh, we've always held them in Middle Tennessee. It's first we relocated to Texas mm-hmm. and managed uh, to grow it this year. So really looking forward to that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, b- by the way, I. I, let me see, it was October the 17th was my six month anniversary of being alcohol free. Ah, congratulations on that. That is a wonderful thing. A whole Um, nother category of sobriety. It's wonderful. Any regrets? None at all. (laughs) None at all. Uh, And, and I, and that included uh, uh, an Alaskan cruise where there were bars everywhere. It included a walking retreat. Uh, in England, with plenty of time spent in pubs. Oh yeah, uh, and yeah. I and I, you know what? I did not feel deprived. And in fact, uh, that England walking retreat, uh, a retreat, was so much fun, so good uh, that we've already scheduled another one. Oh wow! Yeah, June sixth to June sixteenth, twenty twenty four. Oh the man! First, we'll spend the first weekend in Oxford. Uh, uh, we'll do a, an Inklings tour for those people who are fans of Tolkien and Lewis and that yeah. gang. Yeah. And then off to the Cotswolds to walk through the Cotswolds and uh, have deep conversation, you know, make connections. Wow. What a great yeah. thing. What a yeah, great thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, and you're working it, on a lot of a lot of uh, video projects and things like that too, right? Oh now. yeah, that's right, that's right. I've wrapped the uh, walking lessons uh, uh, video series. That's done. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that's available to the subscribers on the Samson Society site. I'm working at another release, I think, through Covenant Eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's not a money making enterprise, although you know there's expense involved that we have to mm-hmm. recoup. But it's sure. it's not about making money. It's right. about it, it's about uh, spreading the message and uh, sharing the freedom. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, giving what, uh, giving, giving, uh, I, you know, I keep what I have by giving it away. That's the one thing I've learned about recovery. Mm-hmm. If and I it, stop becoming a, a conduit, uh, then I, pretty soon I'm in trouble myself. Yeah. And it, and it really is part of your own um, sober journey too, to be a part of something bigger than yourself, you right. know, that is out there. Um, and uh, I just find that the folks that I work with, uh, when they can step outside of that space of uh, only focusing, I mean, obviously early on, it's very appropriate. You've got to take your time and focus on mm-hmm. your own crap and get, you know, get some things together. But when, when it's appropriate and you can really see yourself stepping out and being a part of something bigger than yourself, something that isn't about your own uh, interests, but that you yeah. can be of help to others, it is uh, empowering. And so I'm, yeah. I'm really excited to, uh, just hear all the stuff you got going on, Nate. That's, uh, yeah. that's great, but congratulations on the six months. Cause I do know, uh, those are, those are, uh, big, uh, big milestones. Yeah. Uh, and you know what I, um, I want to put in a plug. I know this doesn't work for everybody. Uh, there are, uh, plenty of folks, sober folks, who won't, uh, they stay away from the non-alcoholic beverages because mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, the, they're close enough to the real thing that for them it's a trigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, they've actually been a help. Okay, yeah. Uh, like, a- Allie and I just finished re-watching Ted Lasso. Uh, okay, and, yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, again, we, I mean, it's, uh, what a, what a great story. Yeah. Um, there's, it's set in England and uh, there's a lot of pub scenes. There's a lot of drinking in that show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, we watched the conclusion, uh, the, the last three episodes of the final season, uh, a couple nights ago, we just kind of binged and it was funny and it was heartwarming. And then there was lots of drinking and I found, I wanted to participate kind of vicariously in the <laughs> closeness of the pub atmosphere and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I was able to go to my little fridge mm-hmm. and I was able to pull out a non-alcoholic beer. That's hoppy. Uh huh. Uh huh. It has that tang that I'm sorry. O'Doul's never was able to capture. Mm-hmm. O'Doul's is freaking dishwater as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, we'll do an episode on, okay. on Nate's favorite non-alcoholic uh, beers here. Yeah. Uh, someday, uh, but... uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I poured that into you know a pint glass, uh-huh. and I'm, I don't know whether it was the hops, I don't know whether it was the color, I don't know whether it was. I didn't miss the alcohol at all, mm-hmm. but but there was um, uh, my, uh, my brain liked it. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's great. I had somebody that told me recently that they went to a an all inclusive uh, uh, resort in Cancun yeah. and. They were a little nervous, you know, where their sobriety was concerned. Uh, it was their yeah, first sure. kind of event like that. And um, and he said, you know, I ordered a, a good quality uh, mm-hmm. non-alcoholic beer out by the pool. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I sipped it. I enjoyed it. 
it, it was when I was done with it, I was satisfied. He said, but then I thought, oh my God, I used to drink 12 of these. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, because yeah, yeah. without the alcohol, he said, you know, obviously the, the buzz is not happening, but he said the the idea that it was satisfying and filling, he said, it just told me again how that had nothing to do with why I drank. But Isn't that something? Yeah. 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 I, now, so here's the crazy thing. If you want to buy a good quality non-alcoholic beer, it's more expensive than alcoholic beer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's and, an I, and I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good ones, the good ones are made with a centrifuge where they actually brew it, put it in a centrifuge, extract the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's an extra step. I get why it costs more. Sure. But, but, um, you know, if there's alcohol in it, uh, the alcohol gives you a bump. Your brain compensates for that bump, uh, but you know, with a counter chemical, and now uh, instantly you want that bump again to get back to mm-hmm. normal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to, to recapture the buzz, right? So if I bought a if I bought a six pack of regular beer, mm-hmm. uh, if I had all day with it, now some guys could knock down a case. I I don't think I ever drank more than six in a day, but mm-hmm. I would drink six. Mm-hmm. If I yeah. had all Saturday, it's a football thing, or there's people around, or it's partying, or whatever. Sure. By the end of the day, I've had six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think I've ever had more than two non-alcoholic beers mm-hmm. because it because it, it doesn't leave me wanting more. Right. Yeah. The alcoholic beer may be cheaper, but you are going to buy in volume. You know. That's I mean, right. That's, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah my that's, old, my my beer budget went down. Yeah. And, Even and though got, I'm paying more per drink. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got better beer probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, that's All very, right. very true though. And, uh, but I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that you're giving yourself uh, a permission to have something that is uh, satisfying to you. And you're not sitting there in that space of, you know, uh, poor me, I'm, I'm excluded yeah. again and uh, feeling alienated and all that stuff. So that's great. You know what? I've just got to get, we our, our Samson group has the meeting after the meeting at mm-hmm. McCreary's. Right. We've got a, a, Columbia has, a, there's a new McCreary's down here. Oh, is uh, there? Okay. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Just right around the corner from the barbershop where we meet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I still, thankfully they do carry a non-alcoholic beer, a good IPA. Mm-hmm. What they don't carry is uh, Guinness Zero, which believe it or not, is it tastes almost identical to Guinness. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And why they don't carry it, I don't know. But I, 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 I've had words with the staff. I've got to get to the Tasha <laughs> and say, come on. Yeah. You're an Irish pub. Yeah, let's I was going to say. <laughs> an Irish pub, at least they could uh, accommodate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, we've got a delightful guest uh, who comes to us. Well, she comes, yeah, let's not spoil it, but she is from across, across the pond to kind of fit, I suppose, with a little bit of what we've talked about already. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to love this guest and we'll be right back on the positive sobriety podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Well, when it comes to talking about positive sobriety, what life is like uh, when we get out of the deprivation head, there's probably nobody better to address the topic than today's guest, Veronica Valley, the creator of 
a, a terrific uh, sobriety uh, masterclass, uh, a podcaster uh, with many, many appearances uh, in, in media is joining us today from her home, believe it or not, brace yourself, from her home in Southern Alabama. Welcome, Veronica. Thank you so much. As you can tell from my accent, I'm a native. <laughs> Born and bred, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we, I, go ahead. No, yeah, we ended up in Alabama just recently and we love it. Well, that's Wonderful. awesome. You're, yeah. um, I'm sure uh, Alabama is happy to hear that. <laughs> uh, well, Veronica, we love our listeners to get to know our guests uh, on a personal level, mm-hmm. know a little bit of the backstory. I wonder, would you be kind enough to take some mm-hmm. time to uh, describe for us the, uh, the long and winding road that brought you into this kind of work? Yes. I mean, I think like it brought me into the work of, you know, working in the field of addiction, like yes. most people, I had my own problem. And yeah, so yeah. not only did I get sober, it, it gave me a career and a life beyond anything I can imagine. But mm-hmm. um, so I grew up uh, in England and um, no, <laughs> and in the 80s, when I was sort of coming of age, um, you our drinking age is 18 but back mm-hmm. in the day you only had to look old enough uh, yeah. so makeup and heels I was going into bars at 13 and 14 no which is, which is really awful you know I think mm-hmm. if I look at 13 14 year old girls and I just think oh my god I couldn't mm-hmm. wait to um I couldn't wait to join the grown-up world and the grown-up world all around me just alcohol was sold to me and I mean by my culture by my peer groups by marketing as Mm -hmm. just the best thing ever and I couldn't wait Mm -hmm. to be part of it and I you know I had the predisposition I felt very very uncomfortable in my own skin and I didn't like myself very much and alcohol solved that for me Mm -hmm. and so I loved it and off I went and I had a great time drinking until I reached 18 which was my the legal drinking age and then I went (laughs) into I also messed around with drugs and mm-hmm. I went into drug-induced psychosis at, I think I was 18. And no. that that was awful. I was suicidal. I couldn't tell anyone. And then um, that changed my drinking because I, what happened from that is I, I developed a lot of anxiety and panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And now I know I think most people who have an alcohol problem suffer from some kind of anxiety Mm-hmm. or panic disorder it's very very common right and and when you don't have any answers and you have that anxiety alcohol will fix it in that hour mm-hmm. so um i my my drinking changed from sort of partying to drinking to cope and needing right. to have a drink before different situations and it just progressed from there really um i i, I spent from 18 to 27 when i got sober looking for answers because I thought I had some rare mental health condition that nobody else had. And if I could just find the answer to that mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I got, I abused prescription drugs and it never, not drinking never occurred to me. It just never occurred to me that you could not, that you did adults didn't drink alcohol. I just, I thought you have to find a way to manage it. Mm-hmm. Like yes. you just have to figure out the perfect formula and mm-hmm. then it would all be fine. And, um, so I spent nine years looking for help and answers. And I don't think anyone ever, 
I suggested not drinking because I, 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 you know, I never was a daily drinker. I was a binge drinker. You know, I drank like my peer group. I went to university mm-hmm. on the outside kind of looked, I was doing the right things, but on the inside mm-hmm. was falling apart. My insides and my outsides were very incongruent. Uh. Mm-hmm. And um, I was very, very lonely. That was a big part of my drinking very very lonely even if I was surrounded by people or had friends I felt very lonely like I was Mm. on the outside looking in it's a horrible feeling it's a horrible way to spend Mm -hmm. life and just you know looking just searching for answers and thinking thinking the answers were outside of me if I moved here if I had a boyfriend if I did this if I had that job always looking for outside fixes to inside problems Uh and I got sober in Key West in Florida, um, which is if you're in full. Another drinking town. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, and if you know about drinking towns, there's also a lot of sobriety, right? Right. Vegas Mm -hmm. has a lot of recovery. Um, I, if you are in, I can, I use the term alcoholic. The, the Holy grail of the alcoholic is where's the party? Like, Uh where's the party? Cause I know there's mm-hmm. a better party somewhere uh-huh. mm-hmm. and I got to Key West, Florida and was like, I found it. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> uh, I'll live, I'll live here. I'll uh-huh. live where yeah. the party is. Yeah. And, um, my last kind of visit there, uh, it was really thanks to also cocaine, which grows on trees in Florida. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. just finished me off. I just would wake my come downs and hangovers. I, I was suicidal. I was desperate. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And um, I met someone who was sober and that sort of opened my eyes. And then at the time I, I couldn't, cause I had such bad anxiety. I couldn't cope with groups of people. So I um, thought that I need to have some kind of job that is one-on-one. And I thought I'll be a therapist. <laughs> Like, in a position to help anybody and the local college had an addictions counseling course mm-hmm. and I went to that and I it began to seep in and then I I stopped drinking although I wasn't really committed to whether that was a long-term thing it was just I'll see how that is for a week mm-hmm. and sort of felt after 30 days was amazed at how great I felt mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I went to some AA meetings and I didn't identify really with anybody. I was much younger. Nothing had happened. Like I hadn't been fired from a job or had a DUI or anything like that. Didn't drink every day. Didn't drink first in the morning. And didn't really know why I kept coming back. And I did. I was a bit lost. I lost all my friends when I stopped drinking because all my friends were fair weather drinking buddies. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked how I felt, but I was lost. I was like, how do you live life? Like I'm just Mm -hmm. in this no man's land Uh of, I don't have any friends in my twenties. They're all partying. I don't really identify with this older group of people who are sober. And I, I stuck around long enough to hear hear someone talk about fear. And Mm -hmm. that did it for me. Cause that he, this person, this middle-aged man described exactly how I felt on the inside that Mm -hmm. I drank because I was so frightened. Uh And, and that, and then I understood it isn't what I did is, you know, it wasn't how much I drank or when I drank, it was the spiritual malady. Mm-hmm. And so I just threw myself into it and my whole life changed. And I walked into a life beyond anything I can ever 
imagine. And I continued to study and then I went back to England and I studied there as a psychotherapist and I was just, this is the work that I was born to do. I love it. I've never, mm. I've never not loved it. And here we are. <laughs> well, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it reminds me of that phrase from the big book about, about uh, how we are driven by a hundred forms of fear. Is that the phrase? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or a thousand or a million forms mm. of fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember being surprised to find that fear was driving so much of my mm-hmm. insane behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because in my own self-concept, I was courageous. I didn't show fear. I knew not to show fear. Then I, it was bravado that I mistook for courage. And really, uh, yeah, an awful lot of fear. Yeah. And uh, chemically, it's interesting, too, because uh, we don't know it maybe at the time, but those of us that have been uh, where Veronica is coming from, uh, alcohol exacerbates uh, anxiety. The residual anxiety after drinking, um, you know, is, uh, r- rises as the dopamine goes down. And so, you know, we drink at that as well. And so it, it can really just be a, that's, I think where the seesaw starts to, uh, you know, effect starts to really kick in. Yeah. I, I think it's the engine of alcoholism. And and the thing is for me, it didn't stop when I got first got sober. I still had mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety and panic attacks and that, that was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And over time, it began to decrease, and, and I've been free of it for a long time. But it's hard in that kind of few months where you know you can't use alcohol, but you're still experiencing a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, just, you know, getting alcohol out of your system, doing a bit of exercise is going to help massively with that. Mm-hmm. But then you have to address the thinking and the emotional stuff, which is, you know, the emotional sobriety piece, the longer the longer piece of work that we all need to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, you strike me as uh, like the dream sponsor for anybody who gets into, (laughs) walks into the room. Uh, But you do far more uh, these days than uh, one-on-one therapy. I I love your phrase, by the way, uh, or your term, soberful. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with that? Oh, I wish I could claim that I did. It was actually uh, someone who was working for me. So she came up with it and it is it is the positive like when you're sober full when you're full of sober you're grateful Mm -hmm. and powerful and joyful and mindful and Mm -hmm. wonderful and all of those really positive words that's what sober full means it's Mm -hmm. it's not um you you know that first perception when we stop drinking is that we will lack that we will Mm -hmm. miss out that we will not have something and sober is just the opposite. It's it's full, and it's full of all of those things. So yeah, mm. I love it too. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of a a, a brand now for you, uh, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got mm-hmm. um, certainly you know you've got a website, you've got a, um, a an email correspondence, a coaching um, opportunity for people, um, a workbook. I mean, tell us about soberful the <laughs> kind of the multifaceted, uh, multi armed uh opportunity that it became for you yeah i just want to say something about um sponsorship i i always sponsor women who live locally to me so that's mm-hmm. my if i meet you in an aa meeting we just meet as as fellow alcoholics and mm-hmm. i always yeah, put yeah. my hand up for 
if people want to be sponsored. Um, so my work is very different. Um, in the UK, I worked for a few years as a psychotherapist and I, I worked in and I started a rehab um, and I had a private practice in London in Harley Street um, and I loved loved doing that. And then I came to America. I married an American, um, came to America and my career fell off a cliff because none of my qualifications translated. Uh, I, got, mm-hmm. I got pregnant with my first child and I didn't, my, my husband, it was my husband who said, oh, you should write a book. You should write a book. You say all these great things and you should write a book. So I wrote my first book, Why You Drink and How to Stop. And I self-published it and it did really, really well. And then people started contacting me and saying, um, you know, please, can will you help me? Can I work with you? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I sort of bumbled along really and did a blog. And then I realized that I could work as a sober coach mm-hmm. and that I actually didn't want to be a psychotherapist anymore because it was different. Um, although I loved psychotherapy, it is different and coaching suits me much better. And and it just kind of grew from there, really. And I wrote another book and had another baby. And then I have I did a, did quite a bit of radio in England and I really liked it. So I thought I want to start a podcast, but who do I want to do that with? Like, I don't want to just do it on my own. And so mm-hmm. Chip, my co-host, was my old boss from like over 20 years ago. And, you know, he, he knows addiction a lot about addiction and I you know trust him and so I was like do you want to do this and he was like all right and now five five and a half years (laughs) later we've got over one and a half million downloads I think and then I got wrote another book and got a publisher for that and it's just kind of from there I I, one of the things that I've noticed you know it's really great online that there's just so many podcasts and Instagram accounts and books and all that kind of stuff. I think it's very different to how, when I first got sober. There wasn't, sure. when I got sober 23 years ago, it's still very much secretive. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something people mm-hmm. talked about publicly. And I'm really glad that they're doing that now. But what I noticed was there was a lot of people who got sober and saw business opportunities and mm-hmm. were selling like my method of getting sober. Um, and I saw there was a lot of people who just were looking for answers. And it's like, I've stopped drinking, but I don't understand why I feel this way. And I don't understand, mm-hmm. like, is it right. always going to be like this? And I'd read what they wrote and think, well, it's because you don't have good boundaries or you still have resentments or whatever. Uh-huh. So that's why I wrote my last book, Sober Full. It's, a, it's, a, it's about emotional sobriety. It's about the, the work that you have, what's under the hood. It's uh-huh. like, mm-hmm. we, we've got to do this deeper work. So we've got to have boundaries. We've got to have balance our needs we, we have to have meaningful connection we have to understand why we are the way we are we have to do a little bit of work on some of our childhood wounds and all that kind of stuff and and so I think it's 10% is getting sober which is fundamental and 90% mm-hmm. is emotional sobriety mm. yes 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 yeah and a failure to um grasp some a sort of emotional sobriety really heightens the risk of relapse right yeah, I actually think the further you get away from a drink without this kind of internal emotional rearrangement, mm-hmm. the worse it, worse it gets. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, and I've seen that in other people, and I was three years sober when I hit an emotional rock bottom, and it was all through romantic relationships. My, I was, mm-hmm. I, It was a train wreck. I, mm-hmm. I still had the same patterns. I was still needy and insecure, mm-hmm. and I didn't have my anesthetic. Uh-huh. And at three yes. years sober, I was suicidal again. 
and I, which I, it gave me the gift of desperation. I was yes. desperate. And I oh. did that. I did that. I thought I was doing the work, but I wasn't, I was skimming over it. And it pushed me into really doing some deeper, which was going through the 12 steps again in a different way, really going deep into inventory, revealing myself to myself, doing some work on the stuff that was revealed to me mm-hmm. and things then began to change. Um, mm. it's very painful to walk around in the world without your anesthetic and still feel disconnected from yourself, I think. Yeah, very much. And, and that, um, uh, that, that time without that anesthesia is where we're starting to realize, I think we have, uh, certain feelings, opinions, uh, resentments, realities that we didn't face. And all of this is kind of coming at us in a pretty rapid pace, I always tell people, you know, if you want to know what you're drinking at, stop drinking and you'll know in about 30 minutes, uh, you know, because uh, those things will be there, you know? And um, do you find, um, Veronica, when you get uh, it, maybe in a, in a sponsorship situation or, or you're coaching or uh, any number of ways you encounter uh, helping people that they're a little surprised at um, how, maybe minimally the the emphasis is on on their drinking or how they drink i mean i ask that question because i have people coming to me and um in the first couple of sessions they'll say i thought we were really going to talk more about my drinking and you know (laughs) i'm like well we know i think uh that, that that's an issue and we can talk about that but you know, let's talk about, again, like you said, your, you know, anxiety and trauma and isolation and all those things that are driving all of this. Are you, are you finding people are a little surprised that you're taking this more multi-pronged look at their uh, emotional makeup? I think so. I I think to some degree, um, yeah, some people think I just need to, I just need to not drink and everything Mm -hmm. will be fine. And, you know, more is always revealed, isn't it? I mean, that's what's interesting about the 12 steps. Only one of them mentions alcohol. Uh The the Mm -hmm. other 11 are all about the spiritual malady. Um, Yeah, I've got a group running at the moment. And one of the women said it the other day about like, I'm just like, we just don't talk about alcohol. We talk about all of this other stuff. We don't really talk about drinking. And it's, you know, amazing to me what she said uh, that it's there's so much it's it's the iceberg isn't it the bit that Mm -hmm. you can see sticking out the water is Mm -hmm. the drinking and the bit the bigger bit that's underneath the water is why you drink in the first place Mm -hmm. and and all those behaviors are still there you know I I quoted this in my first book which I wrote over 15 years ago maybe 20 anyway um when they introduced the gastric band surgery Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. for people who were you know very very obese and they they were able to then do something that stopped them overeating. And what happened was, and I forget the statistic, but it was very high. Um, over 80% became alcoholics and addicts mm. because all that had happened is they'd taken away their ability to binge eat and overeat, which was their drug of choice. Right. They still were left with the emotional reasons why they did that in the first place. Mm-hmm. And because they couldn't overeat, they could get alcohol and drugs into their stomach. And that's when they realized that they needed to offer more than just the surgery. They had to offer therapy as to why people had got to that place in, in the first place. And it's the same, you know, it's the same whenever we abuse an outside substance. It's not the substance that, that's the problem, although that's the first thing that has to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Then it's this, I call it personal development work. And 
You know, everyone on the planet has to do personal development work. Everyone. Mm-hmm. It, it's just most people don't. Mm-hmm. And we are incredibly fortunate that we got this call, this sense of urgency that we had to do this because I, I don't know about you, the rewards just keep on coming for me mm-hmm. of, of being mm-hmm. able to continue on this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me as well. Yeah, I often tell people if, you know, God had struck me sober, uh, like I kept asking for uh, all those times, um, I, it would have robbed me of the journey of um, everything I've learned about myself and then had to admit and acknowledge and all of that. And that would have been a very unfortunate thing, actually, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't want my kids to go through what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. No way. Mm-hmm. But for me, I wouldn't change a thing. Because I don't know if, you know, it it brought me into a life that is beyond, you know, I I can't explain how great it is. I want to say it's real. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't want to give the illusion that it's like a, you know, Disney musical. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. real. We have our challenges, but it's a wonderful life. You know, it's real. It's, It's all of that kind of stuff. And I, yeah, I was sleepwalking before. And I think a lot of people sleepwalk through their lives. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Uh, Veronica, you talked about getting sober in your 20s mm. uh, and walking in that first AA meeting where it seemed like everybody had a few decades on you and had gone far deeper than you'd ever gone. And uh, you described this uh, pervasive, continuing sense of loneliness that, mm. for, for a while until... Uh, I'm, I'm guessing until it finally you found uh, you became aware of your need for social connection and found mm. a way to connect. So nowadays you've got there's a Facebook group with oh, thousands and thousands, mm. more than 13,000 members on it. I'm wondering a few things. First of all, I'm wondering whether that Facebook group is is facilitating uh, or helping to meet the need for social connection. I'm also curious about uh the uh, uh, the average, uh, I don't know whether you can track this, but do you have a sense that younger and younger people now are exploring the sober life? Do you see that median age declining uh, as the years go by? Um, so several questions there. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so yes, we definitely see the age come down and that really is because of drugs. It, oh, really? Yeah, most people, most, my generation and the generation behind me. Mm-hmm. So when I was at school, right, someone knew someone whose older brother could get some marijuana, right? Uh-huh. Right, yeah, yeah. Now they know how to get cocaine and speed and ecstasy. It's not hard. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. um, I think that if people are using drugs and alcohol, it, drugs just bring you down much quicker. So I think that that's brought the age of people getting sober down. I think if you're just, I think if you just drink alcohol, because also it's, you know, um, culturally acceptable as well. So I think if you just drink alcohol, you tend to go a lot longer before thinking about getting sober. Mm -hmm. I think the consequences of drugs are are much more immediate. Um, I also think it's interesting because we are seeing trends that Gen Z are not drinking anything close to what Gen X did. Yes, yes. Um, and Gen X has raised Gen Z, which is really interesting. Um, I think, you know, I have a, I just have a client just now, it's the same age as me, she's British. And um, 
I'm like, you don't need to tell me what your drinking's like. I know what your drinking's like. You're British, you're female. We're the same age, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, were just, we were just this kind of generation in the 90s of, we, it was sold to us as feminism, right? right? We can drink like the boys. Like mm-hmm. we were, you know, it, we were falling out of bars into the street and thought that was mm-hmm. cool and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So I think Gen Z, they're different. However, I don't think Gen Z are not getting a buzz. Uh-huh. I think okay. that we've seen, you know, the legalization of cannabis. So I definitely think they may be doing other things, but maybe mm. not as drinking as much. In terms of connection, so I think the internet has, so going back to the five pillars of sobriety that's in my book, whatever the question, balance is always the answer. So mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, I got sober in 2000, the internet was barely any a thing you know there wasn't any online resources um i think it's fantastic that there is and i think that it's great that people can connect all over the world and and share you know how they feel and maybe they don't have anyone they feel locally who understands i think that's that's brilliant and i also think we need in real life as well it's the balance of the two and i think for some people it's easier for them to be anonymous in a group or you know kind of follow different Instagram accounts or whatever as getting their foot, you know, their toes wet. Um, But I think we also, we need a balance of the two. We need in real life. All my, so I do like groups with women and um, we do them on Zoom. And then I have a program where we do part of that. There is an in-person retreat. Mm. And it's really incredible because we've done a lot of Zoom calls and we've really got to know each other. So when we meet in person, the connection is is much more meaningful Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. pretty immediately mm-hmm. there's no kind of getting to know each other like we we kind of feel very connected so I've met lots of my clients in person either through in-person retreats or other ways and uh it's such a really deep connection that you can take from that you know the mm-hmm. hugs are really you know really tight and so yeah did I answer all the questions <laughs> yes you did oh that's beautiful yes yeah. Are your groups limited to a, a particular number um, uh, that can participate in like a Zoom um, uh, relationship with with all one another? It, it depends. I have different ones. So I have, um, I, you know, I have a, a group that's quite long and we have an in-person retreat and there's lots of layers to it. And, and that's about eight to 10 women. And then I have I do have bigger groups. So I have different different mm-hmm. groups. It, de- it depends. OK, yeah. All right. And, and do you work only with women, Veronica? No, I, I do work with men, but I tend to work with men one-on-one. I tend to mm-hmm. now keep my groups. I, I think most of the people who follow me are women, um, mm-hmm. probably 90%, I don't know, roughly. Um, so they just tend to kind of work out like that. And when I do have men reach out to me, it tends to be for one-to-one work. So I do sort of a, like an intensive kind of three or four-month coaching package with men. Mm. How long will a person um, typically see you as a client if you were doing um, if you were doing work with them? You said a three month coaching package, but are people um, also going longer with you, or do you do you recommend that? Or yeah, I have an alumni program as well for anybody who's been in a any kind of coaching program mm-hmm. with me. They can go into a twelve month alumni program. Like you know, what I do is it's very. Um, when I was first getting sober, people, I felt there was too much vagueness, like, oh, you need to let go of that. 
I don't mm-hmm. I've never let go of anything in my life that hasn't had my nail marks left in it how oh. do I how do I let go of that like mm-hmm. I, I do it, it's very very specific and it's about building a practice it's about building a practice that maintains your mental and emotional health for the rest of your life so it's about being able to manage and deal with fear it's about um, being able to deal with resentments and revealing yourself to yourself. It's about identifying where your limiting beliefs are tripping you up and changing your limiting beliefs into something more empowering. It's about staying in gratitude. It's about um, you know a bunch of other stuff. But the, the, from that comes a practice that I have done for over 20 years. And mm-hmm. that's what I teach my clients is the practice. It's not... So um, they can work, you know, in in one-to-one with me or in a group, and then they can go into an alumni program where we just continue to deepen that work and continue to to hone our skills with our practice by taking, you know, 15, 20 minutes most days to do some structured journaling, to get rid of that resentment. I, I, two or three weeks ago, my husband and I went out for dinner. I won't bore you with a story anyway. I oh, left- Boris, Boris, please, love story. <laughs> I left that dinner with a massive resentment with the person who we went to dinner with, who was a mm-hmm. um, fraternity brother of my husband's. And um, he was really rude to me. And um, I was steaming. Steam was coming out of my ears. Uh. And I just wasn't going to rent space in my head to that, going over and over what I wish I'd said. I can't believe what he said. Da, 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 da. So mm-hmm. I came home, I wrote it out immediately, which took about 70% of the sting from it. And then mm-hmm. I took an action, which was I, I sent a text message saying it's absolutely, un, you, um, mm-hmm. I can't even remember what I said, but it's unacceptable that you speak to me in that way. I, I don't wish to invite you in my, into my experience anymore. And I needed to take that action immediately. I didn't want it to fester. I needed to, and, and it just went. I mean, I, I kind of reflected on it for a few days, but you know, you know, there's nothing worse than being consumed with something for days, right? Uh-huh. You know, I yes. can't believe, you believe what he said and what they said and oh my God. And then in your head, all these scenarios of, you know, I'm going to show him, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to set him right. I, I don't live like that. I've uh-huh. learned that mm-hmm. I don't have to live like that. Uh-huh. So um, I now have a really effective way of dealing that with that and it's worked for 20 years and that's just how I get out of my own way. Uh-huh. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's a big thing, though. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, how how many times that resentment um, uh, triggers uh, even uh, all kinds of things, and you know, relapse that might be you know the worst of which it it does. But but also uh, sometimes people don't allow themselves to acknowledge that they are resentful. Um, you know, perhaps you know they go into the mm-hmm. should thinking. Yeah, you know, well, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't think that, or I, you know, I, I that that's I, that's not really what he meant. Or you know, they minimize themselves, or they minimize the offense, or the person that offended them, and all of that. And I love that you just could very honestly and clearly, <laughs> you know, uh, give yourself permission to say, you know, I'm offended, and that was pretty uncalled for, and go home and process it in a very uh, positive way for you that didn't result in you, you know, having to, uh, go months with, you know, carrying that around in you, but you gave yourself permission to fire off a short message and just say, you know, I'm taking my own power here and deciding how much real estate you're going to take up in my life. (laughs) 
It's sobriety is about having freedom in our minds. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's freedom from alcohol. Like, you know, we live in a wet world. It's everywhere. I don't uh-huh. really mm-hmm. notice it. I mean, it doesn't bother me. Uh-huh. That's freedom. But the real freedom that we're talking about is having freedom in our minds. Uh-huh. And, and that's why we need a practice or a program is that we, because I, I, I've done that in the past, burnt up energy, just consumed with resentment or fear. And it's, it's nowhere, no way to live, uh-huh. but it also prevents me, like it just, that's how I get in my own way, right? It's right. all, it's all up mm. in our thinking. We have to change our thinking. And, and when we can do that, that is real freedom. Yeah, yeah. Well, listeners, uh, our guest is uh, Veronica Valley. The book is Soberful. Uh, you can also go on Amazon and buy uh, that original book, Why You Drink and How to Stop, or a 12-step workbook. Um, and uh, you can also connect with Veronica, I assume, at Soberful.com. Is that the best route for our listeners to go? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Veronica J. Valley, or Facebook is the Soberful uh, Facebook group. Yeah. You just put my okay. name in. I should come up all over the place. <laughs> all right. Uh, and then go ahead and subscribe to that podcast. <laughs> there is. <laughs> uh, Veronica, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. I'm really honored to be on. That went really quickly. It was lovely to meet you. Uh, likewise. Thank you. All right, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Um, our guest, Veronica, today, Nate, was very um, engaging and helpful and, you know, absolutely delightful. But um, most of all resonated with the things that she said about the emotional work uh, mm-hmm. with respect to recovery uh, and mm-hmm. sobriety, because I think she was echoing so much of what you uh, you and I see and the people that we walk with and uh, work with in different capacities. And um, I just feel very um, strongly that I think our, our listeners would benefit from her soberful, um, uh, you know, multiple avenues of um, uh, help uh, because that is the piece of it that I think folks, uh, when we're in the midst of our, our, uh, compulsion and our addiction and all of the things that go with, um, that I think that it's so easy to just believe if I could just stop drinking, my life would be fine mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, or acting out in whatever capacity. Um, you know, that if I just, if I just could not do that, that would, that would make everything okay, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it will just actually reveal, it's just like taking the anesthesia away. It's just going to reveal, yeah. you know, the other parts of it that are, that are so difficult. So I, I really encourage folks to explore her, her books and her um, podcast and all of that. I feel, I feel really good about what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not just for folks struggling with alcohol. Right. Uh, it, I mean, this need for absolute desperate need for emotional health mm-hmm. is as acute for uh, the recovering sex addict or the gambler, anybody with a process addiction, yeah, uh, as it is for the alcoholic 
or the person uh, who's become uh, dependent upon drugs. Yeah, we're also yeah. trying to escape the same stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. You know? mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just showing up in different ways. And uh, and her point about cross addiction, basically, you know, where she was speaking about the mm-hmm. uh, the lap band surgeries and some of the things sure, they discovered sure. about those patients. Um, I think that's very very typical of many many people that that give up drinking for that matter. Yeah. You yeah. know, they they get sober from the alcohol standpoint technically but mm-hmm. um but that uh that need to disconnect and that need to not be me and um to run away from myself is yeah. is still going to be very profound and and maybe you know uh, <laughs> opportunities to do that in other ways is uh is certainly going to be tempting so mm-hmm. um yeah so so i think it's going to be a, a important thing for everybody to get into that space of self awareness and discovery and work. Um, mm. and, and she has a good vehicle in place to, to help people do that. Yeah. She's, she's a clear thinker. She brings a huge fund of experience. She's been consciously engaged in her own recovery and in assisting others in recovery. She is, uh, academically and professionally informed as well. Mm-hmm. And she's articulate. She's a delight to listen to that. I'll tell you what, that British accent doesn't hurt. Oh yeah, I could, uh, I could, yeah, she could read the phone book, and I'd be in, th- oh, intrigued. Uh, but <laughs> absolutely, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of of adopting one just because it'll make me uh, sound more authoritative. Well, yeah. I, why is it that uh, that the that the British accent um, makes me feel like they're smarter than me? That's right. That's right. I find if you wear if you put a pair of glasses on. Uh, your IQ goes up in, in, in terms of uh-huh. perception by about 10 points. Yeah. But I okay. think if you could put glasses together with a British accent, yeah. um, that's a good 25 points. Got there it. There you are. I think that yeah. could be true. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, listeners, we'd like to know what you think, uh, what you think about this podcast, what you think about this particular episode, what you think about us, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, any feedback, any pushback. It's all valuable. And you can reach us at Positive Sobriety Podcast at gmail.com. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 